Hey guys, welcome to Church Unlimited. Thanks so much for worshiping with us today. We always like to start off with our mission statement. So what are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. Hey, I'm so excited to tell you guys, we have a huge announcement right out of the gate. And that is that finally we're reopening our facilities. So put this date down, please, in your calendar. May 30th and 31st, we will be opening all of our campuses. We know it'll be limited in how many we can see, but we'd love to have you be a part of that. Many of you will choose to stay online with us. That's great, but we will have availability for you to come into the worship services at all of our different campuses. I want to encourage you that if you have small children, we want you to continue to worship online. But if your kids are old enough to sit still with you, we will have worship services only. Following the CDC guidelines, we're asking you to wear masks. A lot of other details, you can go to churchunlimited.com for all that. But just know this, we are fired up. It's homecoming weekend, May 30th and 31st. Don't miss that. Now, before I dive into our message, what happened was a number of weeks ago, I started a, a one message that I thought was just gonna be a standalone that turned into a three-part series. Well, now it's expanding to a four-part series because God just keeps stirring in me about this topic. And so I started off talking about the three phases of discipleship, showing how the people of Israel is actually the example of how all of us as Christians process in our faith as well. And so the first phase, of course, was that we are freed from sin when Moses went to set the people free from Egypt, which represents the world and, and the slavery to sin. The second Second phase is the wilderness that we all end up in, which is where we're not where we wanna be, but we're not where we used to be. And that God wants us to become set apart. So first he sets us free, then he sets us apart. And then the third phase is the promised land. Now the promised land is where God sets you up. God wants to bless us. He wants to bless his people. And I really was excited to talk directly about the promised land, but there was a story that was in the way. And I was like, huh, um, maybe I'll just blow by that and get right into the promised land. But I kept going back to the story thinking, well, I guess God had a reason for this to happen before they got to the promised land, something happened very specifically, they, they were attacked. And so I thought, well, Lord, this is annoying. I just wanna talk about the promised land, but I felt God pulling me back saying, well, you can ignore this, but if you ignore the attacks you have in your life now, you won't be prepared for your promised land. So I can't skip this. So I just have to talk about how do we prepare to get into the promised land? We're all gonna have some attacks that happen to us, just like, Israel had one that happened to them. So if you got your Bible, you can turn with me uh, to Exodus chapter 17. Very interesting scripture. It says this, while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Now this is important. Israel just, just came out of Egypt. They were basically essentially a bunch of slaves that did not even feel their own freedom. They didn't feel the ability to make their own decisions yet. They were just following orders, leaving Egypt as fast as they can. They've grown up as slaves. All they know is slavery. Just like all we know at first is sin, our sinful selves, right? Then we go, then go into the wilderness and are trying to learn that there's a God who loves them and a God that will provide for them. And God does provide for them in many different ways. But before they go into the promised land, they get attacked by the Amalekites. Now, the reason this is a big deal is because none of us wanna go through difficulties. None of us wanna have these kind of battles, but we all find ourselves in these battles. And really, this is the battle before the battle. Because when they go into the promised land, there's also a battle against the people of Jericho. Now, Rephidim actually means in the verb tense to be weakened or disheartened. And there's one thing that God wants to grow us all through is how do we go through those things that weaken us, those things that discourage us, if you will. Maybe today you feel like you've been attacked in some way. You know, we don't choose to attack, attacks choose us. Battles choose us sometimes. We don't really want it. I don't think any of us signed up for the COVID-19 crisis, but here it is and we have to deal with it. Maybe you lost your job and you didn't choose it. This, this job loss chose you. This economy chose you. I don't know what you're facing today, but oftentimes our battles are not something we chose to do 
they chose us. But let me tell you why this is important. Because this is a group of people that were slaves that God's trying to turn into a nation. You see, God says, I've promised you a land. I'm gonna give you a location, a place where I'm gonna bless you, but I've gotta get you ready for that location. So I've gotta turn you into a group of slaves, into my people, and ultimately into my nation. And so what's the first thing that nations have to organize to become a nation? They have to organize an army. They have to be prepared for attacks. They have to have a, a, defense, a defense budget. They have to have the ability to guard themselves to make sure that they are, are safe. And so guess what? Israel didn't have that, but suddenly they're attacked and you better believe in that moment. They said, okay, who of you can fight? Let's get you together and let's go fight back against the Amalekites. They had to do it. They had no choice. Sometimes you're just tapped on the shoulder and you're given a fight and you don't want it, but you have to learn to fight. Have you ever been asked to do something you weren't prepared to do? Some people say, well, I'm not ready for this battle. I'm not ready for this difficulty. You know how you get ready for the battle? By fighting, by just getting in there and doing it. And so I'm sure they felt ill-prepared. They were ill-prepared, but nothing will prepare you for the next battle like not being prepared for this one. And so suddenly they had to figure out how to go from just a people wandering in the wilderness to being an army. That's what they had to figure out. So the first thing you need to know is this. Please write this down. If you want to prepare for your promised land, this is it. Number one, the battle you are in prepares you for the battles to come. You see, you may be in a battle right now that doesn't make sense to you. You think, I don't know why I'm dealing with this, this mess I, I'm dealing with at work, or I'm in this dead-end job. I don't even like my boss. I got all kinds of problems with a coworker, or maybe a neighbor's difficult with me. I have a friend that really betrayed me, or I'm really struggling in school, or whatever it is that you're struggling with. You think, I don't, I don't understand the purpose of it. I promise you that in the battle you're in, God's using that to prepare you for a larger battle. And so just know God is preparing you. Let's see what happens next. It says this, Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur, that's a guy's name, by the way, Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. Now, Joshua is unknown at this point. This is the first place in all the Bible that we hear the name Joshua. So Joshua just gets picked out. Now, here's probably what it looked like. The Amalekites are coming down the hill. They're gonna attack us. Uh, you, what's your name? Joshua. Okay, Joshua, you ever fought before? Okay, you're now in charge. Everyone follow Joshua. Joshua, go fight him. We're gonna go up the hill. And we're gonna hold our hands up and ask God to bless us and you go attack him. Now, I'm sure Joshua's thinking like, uh, sure, okay, that sounds great. He's probably turning to the guy next to him like, hey man, you got a sword or anything on you? Like, I wasn't prepared for this. He wasn't prepared for battle. They didn't know this was coming. Again, they didn't choose the battle. The battle chose them. So Joshua is suddenly called on without being ready. You know, most of your greatest opportunities are when you're called on without being ready. Could you have been tapped on the shoulder by someone saying, hey, would you like to do this or would you like to do that? And you keep saying, uh, I don't know if I'm ready. You see, that's just it. Doing it, get you ready. Can I tell you something? When I first started speaking, I didn't really have a lot of quote unquote speaking gigs. I wasn't really in demand by any stretch. I spoke here and there occasionally. And I'll never forget the day I got a phone call and someone said, hey, would you like to speak at this camp? I had never done a camp. I was like, in my mind, I'm thinking, do I have that many sermons? <laughs> like, I was like, how many messages is that I got to do in a week, right? And so, but before I even knew I was prepared, I just said, uh, sure. I committed something I didn't know I could do. And the truth is, is that if you're gonna grow, you have to commit to things you've never done before too. And you'll, you'll probably surprise yourself and realize you have more in you than you think. But there has to be a new demand on you to get that new level of leadership out of you. And so guess what? I figured it out. It was a kid's camp. By the way, all the camps I got early on, all of them were because someone else that had a name backed out. 
And so they were like, I hear this guy can speak sometimes. Maybe he'll come do it. So I was the second or third choice. But guess what? That, that tap on the shoulder gave me an opportunity. So I went and spoke. And it wasn't youth camp and adult camp. It was a kid's camp. Thank God. I could mess up all over them and they wouldn't even know it. And so that's what I did. But it was my first camp. And then after it was done, I remember saying, hey, do you mind giving me kind of like an endorsement so I can tell other people they could call you if I want to do their camp? Maybe they could ask you how I did. And that's how I got started. In the same way, I want to encourage you. You know how you get started? You get started by not being prepared, by not knowing what you're doing, by just faking it till you make it, right? Or as I like to say, faith it till you make it. You just do it and you figure it out as you go. Joshua wasn't a warrior yet. After this, he was. So he had to just go fight. He was tapped on the shoulder. No one even knew his name. Let me ask you something. Are you wanting to make a name for yourself? Maybe you've got some ambition in you and you're like, God, I want to make a name for myself in my industry. I want to do great things for you in the ministry or in the business world or in education or whatever it is. You say, God, I want to do something big with my life. And God says, okay, great. I'm going to throw a battle at you, tap you on the shoulder and say, get in there. But, but I'm not ready. Guess what? Do it while you're not ready. And you'll be getting ready while you do it. I guarantee you, Joshua was a much better warrior after having to go in cold, not knowing what he's doing, and just fight to live. I also think it's interesting that Joshua must have thought, so let me get it straight. Moses, you just tapped me on the shoulder to go fight, and you and your boys are going to go up the hill and pray? Uh, can I join you? Like, why do I have to go out and do the hard part? See, that's the thing. The way God prepares you is he gives you the bad job. He gives you the thing that nobody else wants. He gives you the the short end of the stick, so to speak. Maybe you think, man, I got the raw end of the deal. Like, why can't I go up and pray? I got to be the one in the battle, blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, this is hard work. And it seems like everyone gets the opportunities but me. But that's just it. The battle you're in, that is your opportunity. What doesn't seem fair is your opportunity. How can God do great things in you if you never experience any tests, if you never experience any difficulties? And so guess what? God in his loving grace dumps it on you. God in his loving compassion for you says, I'm gonna make life harder than you. Here's a battle. Get out there, Joshua, and fight. There was a lady, true story, that had a neighbor that just hated her. I mean, this lady was as sweet as could be. She's a Christian. She just wanted to honor God, but this neighbor was so rude to her, made fun of her faith, was screaming, yelled at her. She just, I mean, this lady was, her neighbor was so difficult. And one particular day she knows that this, this neighbor would always take the, they, they lived out in the farms and, and she would always take manure from her animals, this neighbor would, and throw it over the fence in this lady's yard. She did this all the time to her. I mean, she just, she would confront her about it. And she was like, stop me, go ahead and try. And she just, nothing she could do. And this lady was so difficult. One day that neighbor got really sick and ended up in the hospital. So this lady went over to the hospital and took her fresh flowers. And she walked in, the lady couldn't believe she was there. She said, what are you doing here? She said, I came to see you to bring these flowers. She said, you can't afford those flowers. Where'd you get those? And she said, actually, they're, they're from you. She said, what do you mean? She said, well, you kept dumping manure in my yard and it grew amazing flowers. So I thought I'd bring them to you. Could it be that the very thing you think got dumped on you is gonna make something beautiful of your life? Could it be the very battle that you don't want? God's gonna make something beautiful of it. You see, your test becomes your testimony. Your mess becomes your message. God can do great things through you, but he's gonna throw a battle at you. Why? Because he's tapping you on the shoulder, Joshua. No one knows who you are yet, but after this victory, we'll all know your name. We'll all know what you got in you. We'll all know there's more there. You don't even know what's in you until you face a battle. And all of a sudden you go, oh, I didn't think I could do that, but, but I did. It is possible. You have more in you. And God will cause all kinds of circumstances to come your way 
to get it out of you. He's drawing out the leadership in you. He's drawing out the maturity that's inside of you. He's gonna get it out of you. And so guess what? Moses and Aaron and Hur, they go up to this, to this mountain and they're watching the battle go on. Look what happens next. And so what does this mean for you and me? Number two, write this down. God uses battles to make you prominent, to make you prominent, to, to give you a name, to, to help you establish who you are. Again, if you have that ambition, oh God, I wanna do great things for you. Make my name prominent. God says, I'll do that. The way I do it is I introduce a difficulty in your life. He will make your name prominent. Now look what happens next, verse 11. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. So Moses is an older guy. He's holding up his hand. He's holding the staff of God in his hand. He's holding up his hands. He's, the longer he keeps his hands up, the more victory they get, but he gets tired. His hands start to come down. He can physically see the Amalekites begin to take over the Israelites. He's like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, I gotta keep up just a little longer. When he does, guess what? He gets them up again. The war, he can physically see the changes in the battle just by having his hands up and the staff up towards God. They realize this. And so they say, Moses, please sit down here on this rock. We'll hold your arms up. Let me tell you, as a leader, I have some people hold my arms up. I can't do it all on my own. There's no way. I get tired, I get exhausted. And I thank God that there's people that are holding my arms up. And if you wanna be a leader, you need to know this. You're gonna have to learn to hold someone else's arms up before you get a chance to hold your arms up. Who are you supporting? Who are you lifting up? Because if you want authority, you gotta be under authority first, holding someone else's arms up. So these guys held his arms up and guess what? They received the victory because of it. Now, if you're like me, I was thinking, what's, what's up with the whole staff thing? It says that he held up his staff. There was something powerful about, about his arms being up. And I think it's kind of easy to figure out, okay, if we honor God, you know, like worship, you lift your arms to God. That makes sense if you continue to worship God that, that you can have victory. But it doesn't say that. It says that he held his staff up. So it wasn't just his arms, it was his staff. So there's something about this staff that we need to know about. Apparently this staff ties directly to our promised land. So what is it about the staff? I want to show you a couple more scripture. Let's look at Moses' staff, first of all. It says in Exodus chapter four, Moses, by the way, was working for his father-in-law. Uh, he was out in Midian, a town called Midian that was outside of Egypt. He'd already made a mistake and tried to kill someone, right? That was enslaving his people. He, he had the right motive, wrong, wrong way to do it. And so then he had to run out of town and go hide. He was a fugitive from Pharaoh. While he's out there, he falls in love with a girl, gets married. That girl's father happens to be the priest of Midian. So he learns about faith. While he's out shepherding the father-in-law's sheep, he's holding literally a shepherd's staff. God speaks to him. He says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to set my people free. Oh God, God, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. People won't even believe me that you're actually talking to me right now. And this is what it says. What if they won't believe me? The Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? a shepherd's staff. And then he says this, Moses replied, throw it down on the ground, God told him. Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Now, what's the significance of the shepherd's staff becoming a snake? The people of Egypt worshiped snakes. They saw them as, as, as a snake God. So God was saying, my power, I am the great shepherd and my power is stronger than anything you will face in Egypt. So that staff came to represent the authority of God. 
And we think, okay, so it's all about Moses. And if you obey Moses, you're under God's authority. It's actually not about that because there's other places in scripture that Moses wasn't the one holding the staff. Let me show you another scripture. It says in 1 Samuel 17, David, by the way, was a shepherd that God had chosen to become king. And before he fights the big battle against Goliath, he tells the current king, Saul, something about him. Look what he says. 1 Samuel 17, David said this, I am a shepherd for my father's sheep. Whenever a lion or bear came out and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it. What did he strike it with? He struck it with a shepherd's staff. He says, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. I have killed both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine, that means unbelieving Philistine, will be like one of them because he has challenged the army of the living God. David added, the Lord who saved me from the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine. So what's he saying? He's saying, I had a battle before this battle and I've already seen God come through for me personally. So now I'm ready to enter center stage for Israel and fight Goliath. He was saying that I too trust in that staff. God is with me and I have learned to be a good shepherd and protect sheep in the same way I now want to protect Israel. Can I tell you something about leadership? Many of you attest to be great leaders. Look, look, don't miss this. Some of you guys have a lot of vision. Oh man, I wanna be the head person of this or that organization. I want the corner office. I wanna make the big bucks. I wanna be in charge of the whole division, my whole team. I wanna be the head coach. I wanna be the leader whatever, 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 right? But guess what? How can God prepare you to be the leader if you're still thinking about you? Leadership is about shepherding others. What does a shepherd do? They guard the sheep. They lead the sheep, they protect the sheep. They lay down their life for the sheep. When David fought off a lion to protect the sheep, he could have said, well, my life is way more valuable than that sheep. I mean, we lose a sheep, that's here, though, there. Man, I, I mean, I'm sure God values me more than sheep, but no, he didn't do this. No, I'm called to be the, sheep, the shepherd. And so I will protect the sheep from this lion. God was preparing David's heart for leadership. You have to lay down your life for Israel, just like you laid down your life to protect that sheep. In fact, God is called the great shepherd. And think about that. He sent Jesus who did what? Lay down his life for you and me. Let's look at one more scripture. Psalms 23 speaks about this shepherd's staff. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Verse four says, even if I walk through the valley, a uh, dark valley, I will not be afraid because you are with me. Your rod and your shepherd's staff comfort me. Now, a shepherd's staff can comfort you, but guess what else it can do? It can swatch you, right? Sheep are kind of dumb. I mean, how many times did David or Moses, when they were out, you know, tending the sheep, a bunch of sheep started running towards a certain cliff and they didn't know there was a cliff there and the shepherd runs in front of them and swats them. And they think, oh man, this guy's mean. Why would he do that? Because he knows something you don't know. The most loving thing he could do would be to get on you and pop you because he doesn't want you run off the cliff. In the same way, God wants you and I to be prepared and so our battle is not about our battle. It's about the staff. What does that mean? It's about the fact that God is our authority. Would you write this down? Number three, your battle isn't about your battle. It's about you submitting under God's authority. Maybe if you're, you're like, man, I'm always in a fight with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Things are always a big mess with them. what the deal is. And God's saying, well, didn't I tell you? Didn't I warn you to my Holy Spirit? Didn't I shepherd you and lead you away from this person? But you kept pushing anyways. And so surprise, surprise, you're in a mess. I warned you, you didn't submit to my authority. You thought it was, well, I just like this person and I just don't know what. It's not about whether you like this person. You can like anyone over time. It's about the fact that the Holy Spirit spoke to you. You violated God's word when it says not to date someone who doesn't put Christ first in their life. And surprise, surprise, you're in a mess. And so God lovingly says, no, 
There's a cliff there. I don't want you going over the edge. Maybe for you, you, you just took that job blindly and said, I want this job, it's great money. But you knew in that industry that they wanted to ask you to do things that you knew wouldn't, would compromise your, your, your walk with God. They want you to take clients to places that you don't need to be going. Yeah, but the money's so good. I mean, come on, surely God understands. No, he doesn't. God has a standard for you. And you say, but, but other jobs pay way less. You know, I mean, it's, it, it'll cost me $10,000, $20,000 if I take a job where I don't want to do that. I mean, it'll cost me all the money. You know, it's also more expensive than that. Divorce, way more expensive. And so God is saying, I'm leading you, I'm protecting you, and I'll swatch you if I have to get under God's authority. He's trying to protect you from things that'll damage you. And let me ask you this about God's authority. Is there any area of your life you're not surrendered? Could it be that God is saying, I have a promised land for you, but you're not ready for it. You're asking for me to do these great things in your life. But if you in your current state went into the promised land, you wouldn't be ready. Get your heart ready. You need to win some private victories. Submit to the rod. Submit to the staff of the good shepherd who says, no, not that way. No, not this way. I wanna lead you. I wanna guide you. A loving God is trying to protect you from you getting what you want from God and then destroying it because you're not who you should be yet. You know, we have an inheritance in God. My kids don't realize this yet, but they will have an inheritance one day from my wife and I. But I would never drop that whole inheritance in, in their hands right now. You know why? They're not mature enough for it yet. Just like, why would I drop the keys of a car into a 13-year-old's hand? I wouldn't do that. They're, they're not ready. They're not mature enough for that. And even if I said, oh, forget that. I'll just go give it to me because I love them. That would not be me being a loving father. That would be me placing something that can harm them. They could harm themselves, harm others, destroy their life. That would not be loving. So the loving thing is, is to hold back on that gift and say, when I see your maturity, when I see you pass the driver's test, when I see you fall in the law, then maybe then I'll give you that. So what's holding up our promised land? Is it us or is it God? I believe it's God knowing we're not ready. So he says, I wanna prepare you. Well, how does God prepare me? Through battles, through battles you didn't want. See, Israel had to become a nation. How did they become a nation? They had to learn to fight. They had to learn to organize and nothing will make you fight and organize fast like being attacked. And they were like, okay, we don't have a, we don't have a defense mechanism. We don't have a, a warrior army. Well, let's make one quick. Why? I see him coming over the hill. Let's do this. Who wants to fight? Let's go. They had to learn to grow up quick. You want God to do big things in your life? I mean this loving. Grow up. You got to grow up. Don't ask God for grown-up blessings when you're acting like a little boy or a little girl. You got to grow up. You want God to do great things in your life? You got to grow up to go up. You want that blessing, don't you? God says, you got to have the maturity so I can bless you with it. Oh God, give me that six figure income. God's like, well, have you honored me on the five figure income? So you want me to give you more to disobey me with. God wants us to learn to grow up and honor him, learn how to save, learn how to budget, be responsible with what God gives us. Why? When you're responsible, then he'll give you more. God has great things to do for us, but he wants us to be under the shepherd's staff, under his authority. The last part, I love this. It says this, after the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Melech from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. He said, they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne. So now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. We know that that became true. They were at war with Amalek all the way to David's generation. And then David wiped them out. 
David ended Amalek. You say, well, what does that mean for us today? Remember all Old Testament stories are prophecy of New Testament truths. Why was David the one that wiped out Amalek, this enemy that they fought over and over again? Because what was the lineage of David? It ultimately led to Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the one who finally wipes away our sin, our struggle. He gives us complete permanent victory. Maybe you're struggling with something over and over again. You know what you're gonna get that permanent victory? Jesus. He's the one who seals the deal and says, I will wipe this from you. And you'll finally be free of that addiction, free of that struggle, free of that depression, free of that shame and guilt. Jesus is the one who can truly set you and I free. But this is important. What does he say? He says, write down on a scroll as a permanent reminder that you got this victory against the Melchites, Joshua. Why does he say that? Did you know this is the first time in the Bible that God says to write something down? This is the first time in the Bible that God says, I want you to record this history. Why is that important to know? You know what God doesn't say? He doesn't say, make sure you record and write down your last screw up. Hey, make sure you remember, make sure you write all the great detail of that last stupid thing you said, that dumb thing you did. Make sure you got all the details down when you went to spring break and acted like a fool. Make sure you got all the details down of all that legal trouble you got in. Make sure you write down all the details of when you were an idiot and you did this. God never says that. He says, hey, you see this victory you just got? Write it down. And then he says, hey, Moses, be sure to say this aloud to Joshua again and again. Why? Because God knew what God had for Joshua next. God was gonna use Joshua be the one to go into the promised land. What does this mean? This is really important. Number four, remember and remind yourself of your past victories. Remember and remind yourself of your past victories. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Your life is built on the right memories or it's destroyed on the wrong memories. Let me say this again. Your life will be built on the right memories, played again and again in your head, or you will destroy your life by continually playing over and over again the wrong memories. Something really horrible may have happened to you. And I'm sorry it happened to you. And it was unfair and it was wrong and it was unjust. And maybe someone wasn't even served any kind of justice for what they did to you. Maybe they got away with it. Remember this, you never get away with it with God. But here's the thing. If you keep replaying that horrible situation again and again in your mind, you are creating a victim mentality and you are not a victim in Christ. You may have been a victim once, but why are you victimizing yourself again and again? This may seem cold. You may think, Pastor, you are not being sensitive to what I've gone through. No, I am trying to be. But replaying your pain, where is that getting you? It's not getting you anywhere. Instead, let the grace of Christ cover what has been done to you or what you've done that's foolish and instead replay the victories again and again and again. I was talking about this message with my wife earlier today. And she said, you know what, I do that. When we're going through something at the church, I just look back over 20 years and think about all the times you went through something bad and maybe even worse than what we're going through now. And I remember how God worked it out. And it reminds me that God got us through that. He'll get us through this. So replay the right memories in your mind again and again and again. Why does God give you this battle you're in now? so you can have victory, so that when you face the big battle that you're gonna have in your promised land, and by the way, did you know you still have battles in your promised land? I don't know if you knew that. Oh, when I finally arrive, I'll never have a battle again. Not true. More on that next week. How do you face the battles in your promised land? There are battles in your promised land. How to get into your promised land and face those battles is what next week's about. But let me just say this. The, the battle you're in right now that you're kind of blowing off thinking, oh, I wanna talk about my promised land. I wanna talk about this lame job I have now. But this lame job you have now, if you'll submit to authority and do what you're told to do, even though you think it's so lame and so dumb and I can't believe it, guess what? The staff interchanges 
one boss to the next, but they're all holding up a staff. In other words, like one time it's Moses, next time it's David. And we tend to complain about that boss. Oh, they're a jerk and this and that. But then we get another boss. Oh, they're a jerk too. Every, every boss is a jerk? Or could it be that you just are having a hard time submitting under authority, the staff of God? God wants to bless you, but he always wants us to surrender under the staff, the authority of God. So if you don't surrender in the battle you're in now under authority, then you won't get the victory. And if you don't get the victory here, how can you expect to have the victory in larger areas of your life? God wants to do great things in and through you. It's time to win the battle you're in today. Oh, I want to be the CEO one day of the company. God says, awesome. Let's win the battle of being at work on time. Let's start there. Oh, I want to one day be a professor. God's like, that's great. So you need your PhD. Let's first of all go to class and just be consistent. Oh God, I want a great marriage. And God says, that's awesome. Now let's date godly people and not the wrong people so we can get to a godly marriage by first starting with a godly date. Oh God, I want you to do great things in my ministry. And God says, awesome. Let's start by doing great things that no one even knows about. Like learning how to walk with the Lord day by day, getting in the word, obeying him. God, I want you to make me a millionaire. And God's like, that's great. Let's start with a hundred dollar heir. Let's start saving. Let's be faithful with what we have. And then we can grow. God says, win the small battle today and you'll get the larger battle of victory later. So here's the conclusion. If I could conclude this entire message, here it is. Don't miss this. This is the whole conclusion of this message today. Here it is. God has already prepared land for us. He's now preparing us for the land. Let me say that again. God has prepared a land for you. He's now preparing you for the land. Oh God, bring me the woman or man of my dreams. And God's like, in your current state, they would reject you. We need to work on you. Oh God, give me the position of my dreams. We need you to be ready for it. Oh God, give me the ministry of my dreams. We need you to have a heart like Christ and be a shepherd before I can give you this. So it's not about you, it's about serving others. Oh God, give me, fill in the blank. And God says, you give me your promises and I'll give you the land. It's a promised land. I've promised you the land, but remember Israel, you promised devotion. You promised obedience. You promised to depend upon me. So you give me your promise and I'll give you the land. I want to take a moment right now and ask you to bow your heads as we take a moment to pray. You know, this also is a picture of the fact that God has promised us heaven through Christ. If we'll surrender under his staff, Jesus, the great shepherd, if we'll surrender under the fact that he gave his life for you and me, just like David who threw himself in front of that lion, Jesus has thrown himself in front of the price of our sin, which is death. He gave his life for us. Then Jesus rose again from the grave, proving that he's God. Now he waits for you and me to individually receive him. Would you pray this prayer with me right now? You can receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Just say this with me. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord and be my savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray, amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.